Ballistic Sports presents Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Follow Ballistic on Twitter at Ballistic underscore sports. This week, former Blue Jay Todd Stottlemyre gets real on the true meaning of happiness. And if you step back from that story, you're like, wow, like this kid like had a dream, grew up, lived the dream out, making millions, two-time world champion. There was a problem, and the problem was when I looked in the mirror, I didn't like the person staring back at me. And now, thanks to the COVID lockdown, here's a guy that won't be staring back at me tonight, Barry Davis. And I bet you're glad, aren't you? Well, you know what? I find I find it distracting when I'm around pretty people, so you know, it's easier for me to stay focused on baseball like this. Yeah, you know what? That's, that's I'm glad you said that because you know that's that's a pretty valid point. Exactly. I do intim- I do intimidate the other men mm-hmm. because of my because of my fancy good looks. Guys like us, Barry, if we don't call ourselves attractive, who will? Well, that's actually a really good point. <laughs> All right, folks, welcome to Out of the Park. And, uh, yeah, as you heard from the first 20 seconds, you're in for a major treat today because a guy who, uh, really, Tom, I think I publicly in the interview uh, call him out as being the guy that should be running for president. Yeah, 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 you do say that. And he he, he laughs heartily at it, which yes. tells me that he might uh, actually be good. Yes. <laughs> One other thing to look forward to in our in-depth conversation of Todd Stottlemyre, or with Todd Stottlemyre, is he is going to be asked what he says, in his opinion, the best question he's ever been asked. What is that question? And which one of us asked him said question? Oh, <laughs> I'm going to surprise you. It's like those pictures we put up on uh, social media on Guess the Guest. We should, do, we should do a poll before the episode hits. Who is it that oh. asked the question? Well, we do have a poll. We've already got the a poll. The poll makes can, its return. We can do a second one. Yes. Maybe, maybe we can really do that. Really get rocking this poll. Uh, we also have Ask Barry Davis. If you don't have any, I found yeah, one. Yeah, no, no, so. I've got a couple. Yeah, they're, they're, they're really starting to roll in. So, All right. Yeah. Uh, coming up next, the winter meetings have come and gone. The Blue Jays still have a lot of rumors swirling around them. We'll break those down next. There's Tom Forth on Barry Davis. This is Out of the Park. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. Um, you know, we'll, we'll adapt to what happens. We're not going to concede because we want to play in Toronto. We want to play in Canada. That remains our hope. Um, once we have greater clarity, those types of variables, along with a lot of MLB input, will guide our actions and what we do. But you can rest assured that in the interim, you know, we are actively planning we are actively having conversations and looking at alternatives and those things may stir up rumors along the way but there's nothing concrete in place and our 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 optimism and our hope leads us to want to be here but but not to count on that well uh not so encouraging to hear mark shapiro uh speak like that tom forth nope and uh before we get to what he said and what we should make of it Uh, We should let you know that Out of the Park is brought to you in part by our pals at Ballistic Sports. And, Tom, you're not here in studio with me, so you can't see it. But on my table, uh, and you'll see this in the Zoom videos, uh, the future ones we do with players. Uh, I've got my big board game right now on the middle of the table so you can see it. And uh, wherever the Blue Jays shall play this year, uh, you can play your Ballistic Sports baseball game. It is a lot of fun. I'm waiting for the pieces that go along with the game, and then, you know, and also waiting for you to be able to actually come back here so we can play the game. Yeah, yeah. fingers crossed for a better, safer world. Yes, and uh, hopefully, uh, sometime in the new year, you'll be able to uh, see these games come, and uh, we'll keep you updated as to where and when you'll be able to purchase yours. And again, you can get baseball, you can get the NFL, or you can mm-hmm. get NHL. You play along, you predict what could happen in the game. And uh, depending on how well you do, you move your piece and gain points. And it's kind of like being a GM in uh, Major League Baseball, Tom. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this usually the offseason consists of the GM and the president deciding on how they're going to improve the team. But while the Blue Jays are in the process of doing that, uh, they also have to figure out where the hell they're going to play this year. And I would love nothing more for them to be back here in Toronto, but let's face the reality. I mean, here we are in December. More more lockdowns are coming. Mm-hmm. And as they 
you know, lock down bits and pieces of Ontario, all it's going to do is delay the inevitable and force the other places to stay locked down even longer. So um, <laughs> I don't count on there being baseball anytime soon because I would imagine that by April and May, we're still going to be locking down different regions because of, you know. Anyway. Well, you know, fingers crossed. Everybody's talking vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. And who knows if COVID has taught us anything. And actually, that's kind of like what I liked about how Shapiro handled it because he didn't come out and say anything. He was he, he basically admitted, like, we don't know yet. There's so many moving parts, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if COVID's taught us anything, who knows? We There could be baseball in Toronto. I hope. I, I mean, yeah. I hope I hope there is, and I hope that if we can safely even put 5,000 people in Rogers Center, yep. spread them out so people can get out oh, and man. watch a baseball game it's, again. I miss those days, like back in, like, 2009, 2008. You know, you had the dome all to yourself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Again, and we've joked about it before, but uh, the Rays have no issue with this. Um, you know, they can... Their GM, uh, I, I read a press clipping from him the other day, and he even joked, he said that. Wow. He said he said that if we have to stick to under 10,000 fans, that's fine, because mm-hmm. we don't ever get 10,000 anyways. Well, there you go then. Yep. <laughs> so... Uh, Ross Atkins has is, is made it pretty clear that they've got some things on, on the go. Mm-hmm. That there are going to be some moves that are going to be made and that will greatly improve the team. Yep. And that's good news if you're a Blue Jays fan, although now it's the waiting game. When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? Mm-hmm. The, the winter meetings, you know, it's funny because we've been saying for years, at least back when I used to cover them, that the time is going to come where they're going to realize they have the technology to do this all online and there'd be no reason for all the gms and all of us media to to get to go to someplace really nice and sunny in december and guess what here we this are this year is here we are here we are not for the reasons that we thought but here we are mm-hmm. uh, so the fact that the jays have not made any moves yet as of the time that we're recording which is on the friday night mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that nothing's going to get done and i i'm pretty sure things are going to get done uh, they are looking at different free agents out there. Yep. Uh, they are looking at potentially trades. Yep. So let's just be patient. See, see where this leads. Yeah, like their 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 name is out there on a lot of people from a lot of different sources. I'm noticing. So I mean, they're they're obviously trying. And at this point, yeah, nothing's happened yet. But I'm not I I'm not feeling down yet. Like I'm I'm still quite optimistic, hoping they can you know, pull another Ryu out of a hat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, one of the top closers in the American League is available. And he was with the Blue Jays before. Yeah. Twice uh, before. We, well, this is, this is part of Asbury Davis this week. Okay, then I won't, I'm not going to get <laughs> deep into that. I'm not going to go into that. But, um, so no, it, it's good that the Blue Jays are, are looking at, at, at making some moves and we'll see where they go. Mm-hmm. Um, more exciting to me is... What is Vladimir Guerrero going to look like? Now, we, I mean, visually, we already know he's looking better than I've ever seen him. Yep. He, he's looks, he looks cut. Yep. Um, he's playing right now in a Dominican league, and he's tearing it up up there. Mm-hmm. I just said up, up. Yep. Yeah, as we he's recorded it up this up there. Friday the, uh, the 11th, um, mm. he, he blasted two bombs in a game. Let's, yeah. And that's what, his third game back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, steps in the right direction for sure. And, you know, I also heard a report, and, and I, I mentioned this to you off the air, like I heard a report that he had also made an error at third base, so they're playing him at third. Oh, yeah. And to me, you've, you've got to. Yep. It, this, this, is, this is the time you're going to see what, what he's got. Yeah. Right? So I, I, I'm really happy and I'm really excited about what could happen. Yep. Uh, with Vladimir Guerrero in 2021. Uh, one of the names that we do hear floating around the Blue Jays is George Springer, and I would love to see Springer here. I don't care that he played for the Houston Astros, and I know we talked about that before. Yep. This is a guy that can hit 40 home runs a season, and he's the all-around good-on-base guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he would be a beautiful fit in the middle of that Blue Jays lineup. Yeah, and, and shore up what would then be a seriously powerful outfield. Oh, yeah. Again, Randall Grichik is 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 a good outfielder, 
I mean, he's, he's very good defensively, but he's, he's an okay hitter. He's very similar to what Kevin Pillar was, let's face it. They're very, very similar players. Yeah. Uh, he, he, can be, he can be my fourth guy, right? Yeah, that's where I'd, I'd love to see him there. I, you know, I, I'd really, because I think the ceiling on Gurriel and Teoscar Hernandez is so astronomically, high, so much higher then I think Grichik, there's a lot more major league track record behind him, and we kind of know what we're getting with him, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see, I'd love to see him as a fourth outfielder, though. <laughs> I would as well. Yeah. I would as well. Um, before we uh, head off, because we do have a very lengthy conversation with Todd Stoudemire, we want to get in Rosh Zapaya, and we want to get in Asbury Davis. Uh, really thrilled to see that Brandon Morrow signed a minor league contract with the LA Dodgers. He's going to get another chance to. To pitch there and he pitched so well there uh, during the postseason I remember in the World Series he pitched every game of the World Series and uh, then he got injured again and unfortunately uh, I don't think he pitched at all last season but uh, and I was actually going to reach out to him about doing a life after baseball chat but maybe not so soon Barry <laughs> uh, I hope he makes it I hope he uh, this is a great opportunity for him so I hope he makes it yeah. so all right uh, up next we're going to answer some questions but before that uh Here's a little bit of our pal Raj Zapaya uh, doing what he does best, fixing Tom Forth. That is Tom <laughs> on Barry. You're listening to Out of the Park. Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. And it is time for our weekly visit with Raj Zapaya from Foundation Physiotherapy. Not joining us from the clinic this week, Raj. You're, you got this, uh, you know, you and Tom have got like wood paneling behind you. <laughs> yeah, this is my bedroom. I'm not going to show you the rest of it. Uh, I've been kicked out of the other floors. That's okay. Everybody's on a device, so this is as, the only place to get quiet. As it's we just are, me and uh, it's me and our our uh, furry, our canine friend. Okay. Last week we got you to talk about an issue Tom had, and this week we're going to talk to you about an issue that Tom had. Tom, <laughs> why don't you tell Dr. Raj what happened whilst you were putting your Christmas tree up? Oh, man. So, you know, remember last week we were talking about Morton's Neuroma, and you brought up Mm -hmm. some really great stuff about how, um, you know, a condition like that can affect you in different places in your body. And so, you know, my other knee was hurting me, and now I think it's been an aggravating factor and something that's kept me in bed most of the day today. Mm -hmm. I was putting up my Christmas tree last night, and I reached over and kind of zigged when I should have zagged and I felt uh, almost felt like a release right on my spine, just above mm-hmm. the hip bone. And, uh, and I haven't really been able to move since. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, well, I'm okay. I'm in good spirits. Yeah. But could this be related to my Morton's neuroma and all the limping I've been doing as well? It's hard to say. I mean, um, you know, if we did a thorough assessment, I might be able to connect that the limping has created like an imbalance in your hips, which might have then, you know, created some weakness in your hips and back. And then when you try to go to reach over to bend, bend down and pick up something, that weakness is not, you know, obviously your back gets irritated because it's not strong enough to, to do that, right? So I full assessment, it's hard for me to say yes, whether it's connected or not, but you know, I, I truly believe that everything in our body is connected. We never really work in isolation, right? So somewhere along our history, somewhere along our life, previous injuries and previous issues can create other issues. Um, but to be honest, Tom, it'd be hard to say unless we actually thoroughly, thoroughly kind of assessed you and saw if there was a direct con- direct connection between your foot and your back. There There is an episode for another day. But what Tom did, mm-hmm. it, it did make me think of the fact mm-hmm. that back injuries are very common this time of year because people are putting up their trees and reaching to get that star up top yeah. and maybe standing on ladders. Speak a bit of yeah. the dangers of stretching because I know many times where it's like, oh, I think I can, because I'm short, you know, guys, you're aware of that. I'm a little short. So I have to <laughs> reach a little bit further for things. And sometimes <laughs> I reach just a bit too far and then all of a sudden you just feel it. What is that it that we're feeling when we reach too far? You're just feeling your muscle, your, your muscles can't handle that reach. That's all, right? Uh, when we feel pain and we feel symptoms, it's when our body is taken beyond its limits. And that doesn't mean that that is your max limit. 
Uh, you don't have to accept it. You can train your body to have further limits, but given the function of function functional level of your body at the moment, my that body, is the maximum not your everybody's body's willing to go. Right. Not your everybody, body. my personal, not body. everybody's body. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, like mm-hmm. if if Barry, you kind of worked for weeks on your core and stretching and flexibility, maybe by next Christmas you don't have that problem, right? Well, so it's, it's really about what our body's ability is, is our body's abilities. And whenever um, we start to feel pain and symptoms and overstretching or overdoing is because our body has overdone it. And there's two ways to fix that problem. Either we do less of the activity or we increase our body's tolerance to be able to handle more. Or number three, uh, when the pandemic clears, I call Tom over because he's a lot taller than I am. So he won't need the yeah, ladder. You can do that. Number three, you find somebody else to do the work for you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So so what's the best advice for the poor, misguided saps like me who did overreach and who did overstretch and who find themselves, you know, feeling that incapacitating pain? You know, mm-hmm. what 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 should we do right off the bat? You feel that pulling your back and now all of a sudden you can't move your legs. What do we do? Yeah, so I think directly, Tom, if you if you felt like a direct impact uh, and a direct um, pain, the best thing to do is to is to stop that activity, get get somewhere, um, lie on your stomach, preferably, so you don't have weight on your back. And you know, when you've done something immediately, the best thing to do is to put a cold pack or an ice pack on it, right? Because you just did it. You want to reduce any inflammation. You want to reduce any swelling because your body's gonna have increased blood flow, rest and put some ice on it and then see how it resolves over the night. Some people might want to take a Tylenol or an Advil, something over the counter might help, you know, um, but you want to give yourself at least 12 to 24 hours, see how you feel. If things aren't getting any better, the best thing, you know, my advice, the best thing is never try to self-manage, always talk to a professional, right? Whether that is a virtual mm-hmm. call with a physio or through a through with a physician, uh, my, my opinion would be just do a virtual consult with a physiotherapist, even if you can't go anywhere, right? Do a virtual consult. There's so much we can do just by getting doing a thorough history and seeing how you move. We'll be able to figure out what's actually happening and giving you the right suggestions at home until you're able to come into a clinic if you need to. That was a hint, Tom. That was a hint. Get on the phone, call Raj, set up yeah. an appointment, and get this thing going. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, I mean, I think I think the I think the the thing is it's, it's yes, you should, but. Um, mm-hmm. the, the reason, in my opinion, why a lot of people, a lot of injuries linger and a lot of injuries get worse is because people think they can manage it themselves. And I, it's okay to manage it, but if after like the first day, you're not getting any better, you probably do need some professional help, right? And, uh, I, and I always suggest people to, you know, talk to the right professionals just because like, we can have a, we can shed better light on it. Roger, there are so many, uh, that's... go ahead, Tom. I was going to say, that's the thing about backs, right? Because, yeah. you know, if you just talk to people on the street, you know, yeah. so-and-so's grandmother used a hot press and the yeah. other person stretches through it. Yeah. The other person takes a cold bath. And yeah, yeah. it's one of those exactly. things that if you do the wrong thing, you can make it so much worse. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's good. It's good. There's so many things that's going on with your back and everybody has different demands off their back. Like, you know, some people might just might not need to do much with their body, but other people might want to get back to playing with their kids or jumping up and down or running or working during the workout. So everybody's, everybody's different and everybody's treatment is going to be different. That's why it's important to talk to somebody who can give you the right guidance. Raj, to maybe prevent something like this happening, um, there's got to be a proper way to, to do this when you are stretching, because you think about it, if say you've got a little step ladder and you're reaching to put that star on top of the tree, you can pull yeah. something up in your upper arms. You could pull your back. You could pull, something in your lower legs because maybe you're standing on your toes to get that extra little bit of height. And then, and then God forbid 100%. you fall off the ladder and it's a whole different mess. But yeah, yeah, I mean, body mechanics is always important with everything we do. Um, you know, we don't, we don't want to be in too many awkward positions, right? We try to get away with being in too many awkward positions. Um, and, and maybe that means getting a higher step ladder um, or, or, you know, putting it on the tree before you put the tree up. You oh, know, I didn't even think of that. Oh my God! Right? Are you? I've been putting up Christmas trees for how many years, and I never ever. Th- and I've got a an artificial tree comes into three parts. Why the hell have I not I mean, been I putting? Part, a lot of people they want to save that to the end. Oh my God! Right? Well, but who if you cares? can't reach the top, just put it on and then toss it up. I've got like, <laughs> oh, man. 
<laughs> well, Raj, speaking of awkward positions, you just... Barry's been doing things wrong his whole life. Yes. Uh, you talk about awkward positions, you put me in one now. So we shall wrap it up and say thank you so much, Raj, and we'll talk to you next week. Yeah. Talk oh, to you later. hey, hey, no, don't leave yet. Uh, tell Tom and everyone well, else how they can get a hold of you or your clinic if they'd like to make a virtual appointment. Yeah, mm-hmm. you really, just go online, foundationphysio.com. And uh, you'll be able to find all the information there to book virtually. Just go foundationphysio.com, lots of little links to book book your appointment and choose a virtual appointment and, and one of our physios will be happy to help you. All right, we'll talk to you next week, Rosh. Awesome. Take care, guys. Out of the Park presents Ask Barry Davis. Oh, Tom, we could all go for a little vacation right now, eh? Oh, that would just be lovely, wouldn't it? Yeah. And uh, (laughs) by the way, a wonderful song from the Go-Go's back from the 80s. And uh, one of the reasons we're playing this song is, well, yeah, we could all use a vacation, Tom. But also, uh, we want to let our listeners know that we have a huge, huge episode of Sessions coming up. And it will be a week from Tuesday. You'll hear our in-depth conversation with Go-Go's bass player, Kathy Valentine. And I am really excited for this conversation. Yeah, I, I cannot wait. And it's, it's funny. It, it was cool enough when I heard we got the interview, but then, you know, both you and I have had the opportunity to read the book that she's written. A fantastic book uh, oh, called wow. All I Ever Wanted. Highly yeah. recommend it. If you're a music fan, even if you're not a, a no, if you're a human fan, fan it, Oh my it, God. Her story is riveting, oh, riveting. Yeah. Yeah. No D in riveting. <laughs> it's not riveting. Riveting. Yeah, a uh, great book. Highly recommend it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's also a great documentary on the Go-Go's that's out there as well if you have Crave TV. It but is, again, yeah. Kathy Valentine will be joining us in two weeks. This Tuesday, uh, a Canadian legend, as it were, and someone you've made music with, Mr. Alan Frew of Glass Tiger, will join us. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to talk to Alan again. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you're a music fan, be sure to check out our Sessions podcast, and you can take that up on soundcloud and if you subscribe to out of the park on itunes i believe both that show and sessions will come to your phone automatically they do they do indeed perfect perfect Hmm. perfect all right it is time for Asbury davis and uh, this is the opportunity for you our listeners to submit questions to me and um they're starting to slowly pick up again tom they are indeed but it's the same two people that continually ask Nope, nope, not oh. at all. I've got a better. Well, I've, uh, in fact, um, I've actually held, held off a couple of questions this week. Oh, um, look at you. So, yeah, no, no, we've got uh, probably about 10 in the last three weeks, 10 different wow. people. Yeah. All right. Well, so including multiples from some OTP insiders. Nice. Beautiful. And again, how do they submit their questions? So, again, DMing yourself or me on Twitter, which is at fourth. Thomas, you almost forgot your own. Yeah, handle, I'm still not you? even sure because you know what? I, I I don't spend enough time on Twitter, but yeah, it's at fourth underscore Thomas. Okay. <laughs> See, I was wrong, and at Barry Davis underscore. So you can send either of the two of us DMs, or you can use the hashtag Ask Barry Davis or Ask Tom Fourth. And uh, again, yeah, anything you want to know about baseball, about music, about uh, broadcasting in Canada or about mental health, send them on to us. Works for me. What (laughs) do we got this week? All right. So the first question is from an OTP insider. And to become an OTP insider, you can come on over to patreon.com slash out of the park, throw a couple bucks our way every week, $3, $5, or not every week, but every month. And that gets you, you know, first of the line for these Asbury Davis questions and a whole bunch of other really cool stuff, including uh, videos that we're going to be That's uh, right. downloading. Uh, we've already got part of the Greeley one up. Uh, the the one coming with this episode is, is going to be off the charts amazing. Yes. So, and you'll see. get to hear, members will get to hear the entire conversation, parts one and two, as well as the video. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the rest of you, um, you get to hear only part one. And yep. a lot of times some of the best stuff is in part two. And yeah. you know what? We're not going to try to sell it like that. Please nope. help us. It's hard for us right now. <laughs> okay. No, I don't want to sell that it that the, way. Yeah, no. I don't want to sell okay. it that way. Begging either. doesn't work either. Oh, okay. All right. No, no. Just if you, you know like what? the program, help us out. Bingo. You got a couple Please. bucks, throw them our way. We'll be very Please. happy. And if you don't, Thank you. 
listen to the program and we'll still be very happy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> We're not forcing you to buy this. Bingo. All right. So, okay. All right. So David, an OTP insider, asks, uh, and it was actually a question that came up. He was watching our Casey Jansen podcast. Mm-hmm. And or listening to our Casey Jansen podcast, and um, the question that came he up could have been watching it. Yep, it had something to do with how Casey was informed about a teammate's trade. And so David's question is, um, how do major league teams inform other players that another player on their team has been traded? So, you know, when you know whoever it is gets traded, when Juan Guzman gets traded, who tells the rest of the team that he right. got traded? It's it's very rarely the general manager uh, mm-hmm. in this day and age. Well, the way okay, let's let's back it up twenty years, thirty mm-hmm. years to when Juan Guzman was playing. Um, Juan Guzman would be called on the phone unless he was in the clubhouse, and he would be called into the office, and he would be told that he's been traded, and then he'd come back into the clubhouse and tell all his teammates he's been traded. Uh, mm-hmm. If he was at home or whatever. Uh, the players would probably get to the ballpark and have no clue until they got there and they saw his locker cleaned out or him cleaning out his locker. And then the manager at some point will tell the guys, hey, Juan's been tra- – Juan Guzman was never traded, by the way, so I don't want to I scare know, that's anybody. <laughs> that's, um, why I, that's why he yeah. came to my mind. But they would get to – yeah, he would – the manager would get together and say, this is what's happened. Uh, in the year 2020 and beyond um, – most players would know simply because of social media, right? Because uh, a lot of times social media knows about a trade before the player that's even been traded knows about the trade. I mean, we've heard of players hearing about themselves being traded on Twitter, which is insane. Yeah. Oh yeah. True. Do do, So the blue Jays don't have like an internal email blast. Like Uh, not that I know of. I, I mean, it's possible Right. I mean, mm-hmm. they work for Rogers. Right. You think a mm-hmm. big communications company would be able to uh, suit them up with email addresses. Uh, <laughs> that's possible. But, uh, you know, there I don't there's no real official, uh, you know, if, if there's once a trade's been official. Yeah, there's a press release that goes out. And I imagine that the players probably have access to any press releases regarding the team. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's no formal. The GM's going to get the whole team together on Zoom and say, hey, boys, this is what's happened. Like, you're not going to see that. But good question. Yeah, very good. Um, I got another good one here, too. Um, This one's going to put you on the spot a little bit. This is coming from Torpan. Yes. Um, And the question is, who would you like to see, Barry, who would you like to see do color for the Blue Jays on the radio as a replacement for Mr. Mike Wilner? Um, And Torpan specifically mentions Ricky Romero. Yeah, I think Ricky would. Yeah. Yeah, apparently he's bought a house in Toronto. Well, his wife is from here. So it's yeah. possible they doesn't mean they're going to live here, um, and I know Ricky has also you know been working in L.A. where he's mm-hmm. been doing his podcast. But he's he's definitely someone I'd like to see, as well as Jason Grilly, who told us here on Out of the Park last week. I believe it was in part two, though, so only the members got to hear that part. But oh. he made he made a bit of a ploy. He wants uh, is it a ploy or a plea? Ploy. He made a statement. A plea. Plea. He made a plea. plea. Yeah. Made a plea. He wants to wants to be the. Uh, Radio guy for the Blue Jays, and I yeah. hope he gets it. I'd yeah. love to see him get it. There I are told, a number I told of him the that, same. He, I, yeah. I said at the time, he'd be a breath of fresh air. I think Romero's a really, really yeah. intriguing choice too. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there are a number, of, but uh, you know, if you're going to replace someone with the experience that Mike Wilner has had uh, in the booth, and they decide not to call me, then I say a former, pl- <laughs> <Just> <laughs> but no, a former player uh, would be the best. You know, yeah. I want to hear a player in there. Yeah, I, I have to say I, I kind of agree. Yeah, I do. Well, I'm, glad, I, I'm glad you kind of agree with me. Yeah, well, I I do like I do like the perspectives of non-players as well in the broadcast. So I, it's not a deal breaker for me. Um, I, I think actually Wilner is a perfect example. Like he brought an encyclopedic knowledge of the game mm-hmm. that wasn't you know that had nothing to do with with. Uh, him ever being a you know professional baseball player <laughs> right and i saw him at fantasy camp we played together he was not a professional baseball player no oh wow i i find sometimes that you know the blue jays broadcasts can veer to getting over the top into like technical catcher talk right mm-hmm. so so it's not always a bad thing that not everybody's a player but no 
and that's why I think it will be a good fit because uh, Ben never played, and whoever sits yeah. beside him will have played. So um, the only time it really worked with two non-players was was Tom and Jerry. I mean, big, that to me go. was a yeah, that was a great combination. Mm-hmm. So, but another good question. You say you got yeah. one more? Yeah, I do. It's 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 this one's another one of those funny little ask Tom Fourth questions. All right. And uh, this one comes from Matthew, mm-hmm. and uh, he's another OTP insider. Yes, he is. And uh, the question he asked actually has to do with um, being an insider. He's seen the podcast and he's seen the background behind me. And uh, so, for the insiders that haven't, you'll see you know a bass guitar, you know, cool little lava lamp, some some autographed baseballs. But the the question that he asked was about the sign that says Fourth Avenue. And uh, he wanted to know if there was, you know, how I got that. Basically, I think he's looking for a personalized street sign. Mm. Yeah, where did you get that? <laughs> okay, so I just happened to know a guy that worked at the place that made them. Mm. And I, uh, I bought him a case of beer. And it was actually originally a sign that I had for my dartboard. But I don't have a dartboard set up down here, so it, it sits really nicely on my mantel place, and uh, it looks great in the video. So I'm, I'm glad he noticed it. It's kind of a personal touch behind me, and uh, you know, a neat little story. He's a really good friend of mine, and uh, pulled a bunch of strings to get it. So unfortunately, I don't have a source for any more. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, if I got one that said Davis Drive, I think pe- people would realize that I stole it from the actual davis drive well yeah just zip up to newmarket and grab one of those right those ones yeah exactly <laughs> exactly exactly all right uh thank you very much for your questions folks it is now time for us to be joined by a fan favorite and uh he's definitely uh one of our favorites here on out of the park there is tom forth i'm barry davis this is otp go ahead and give it to me And now, In the Dugout with Barry Davis. Well, joining us on the line from Arizona is former Toronto Blue Jay and a good friend of the show, Mr. Todd Stavelmeyer. This is great. This is the first time we've had a chance to actually do this over Zoom and uh, allowing our listeners and viewers now uh, to see how you've been doing. And uh, I see, like like me, uh, old age is set in and we've got to wear the, the spectacles to see. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, I just recently learned, I, I set this chat up because I wanted to chat with you because it's been a while, and then I found out Todd's written another book. And for those yeah. that uh, are not aware, uh, tell us a little bit about the book because this is a lot different than your other book because I, I read your first book, and it's a phenomenal book, and, and it grabs you right from the beginning. You know, here you are with Dave Stewart getting into trouble and getting out of trouble, and then it tells this yeah. great story and and. But this is this is a fictional book. But is it really a fictional book? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's it's fictional. It's got characters in it. But all of those characters, each one of the characters represents a small piece of my life. So it's as if I wrote this instead of writing the story about me and just my life. I took my life and some of the events of my life and I weaved it into the characters. Um, it's funny, the main character is a woman in her 30s um, that has a son. So sometimes I'm the son, um, sometimes I'm the main character going through it, and then sometimes I'm the father of the main character. <laughs> and the father of the main character actually pitched in Toronto, then became a manager of the Blue Jays, and then became general manager of the Blue Jays. So there's some fiction there, of course. For um, now, but the, you never know. But, yeah. You never know, But Todd. the story <laughs> is is bred all around Toronto, the Toronto Blue Jays, um, and then the kind of the life events prior to and going through, and and this lady's an entrepreneur, builds a big business, and then fails, and then rebuilds her life. So, um, you know, it's, it's incredible. You know, the book is called The Observer, and really, for me, The Observer began really in 1993, right after the World Series, and, and that was the beginning for me of this book, and and it's taken me all these years to kind of put this message together 
just get really, really vulnerable. And it was easy for me to weave it into characters because I wanted to make it more relatable. So I wanted to make it less about me and more about the characters so that anyone that reads the book, whether it's a man or a woman or whatever, that they could relate with the characters. And um, so I'm pretty proud of it. And, uh, you know, it comes out December 29th and, and I'm making a strong push on this one because, um, you know, with the world, the conditions of the world and, and everything that's going on, I just think it'll be a great book for people to get their hands on. You know, it's such a unique idea, weaving yourself into the narrative through multiple characters. I have to ask, where did you come up with that idea? I've, I've, I've never even heard of that before. Well, the publisher, I sat with the publisher and the, and the, and the whole team, and, and it started out like, we'll develop you know, this main character, and, and the, you'll write about the main character as if it, you know, basically on some true life events. But there are times, oddly enough, and it's just how it turned out, I don't even know really if it was a focus, but there were times that, and I read through and wrote and changed nine different times this manuscript. So it was like, literally, there was times where I would just change one word. There was times where you know, on the seventh, eighth or ninth time, I'm like, I want to take that sentence out, replace it and, and whatever. So I, I, this was a labor of love, man. But there are times, um, the more I read, it's funny, the more I read what I write, and it was nine different times until I got to the final, it was like, wow, um, I was there as a kid with my father. And there was a time, there's a time in the book where the grandfather is speaking to the grandson and it was almost like I was the kid and the grandfather was my father. Wow. And then there were times that as the main character is going through her life, I'm like, yeah, that was me kind of going through my life. So it's it, it's kind of the way it turned out. And, you know, it started out the main character was going to be me, but it was going to be a woman. We wanted to make it relatable and and the whole thing. But uh, it's pretty crazy how it turned out. And, and I'm grateful for it. When you consider that this has been in the making since 1993, is this now, as you get set to publish and release it, what you had intentionally thought of back in 93? Or has it gone through so much, maybe organically too, that you know it may have started with a certain idea you had, but as it ends up all these years later, it's maybe a little bit different than what you'd originally planned? Probably both. Um, you know, the book started because... Um, you know, really it was, it was after the 93 world series and, and I got, I'd gotten home to Florida and, you know, I was at a, I was at a different place. And, and if you look at me from the outside, here I am 28, 27, 28 years old, making millions of dollars, lived out my childhood dream of following my father's footsteps, playing major league baseball, um, end up in Toronto, um, play on teams that win back-to-back -back world champions. And if you step back from that story, you're like, wow, like this kid, like had a dream, grew up, lived the dream out, it's making millions, two-time world champion. I, there was a problem. And the problem was when I looked in the mirror, I didn't like the person staring back at me. Matter of fact, I despised that person. And that's because uh, about 12 years prior to that moment, uh, I was 15. My little brother was 11. He was battling for his life. He had leukemia. Mm -hmm. He was on his third bout. And and, and my blood type matched his perfectly. I gave him a bone marrow transplant. That bone marrow put him into a coma that eventually took his life. The night it took his life, I remember staring over his bedside. And, and of course, the family had, you know, all the traditional sadness that someone can imagine. And for my parents, the thought of, man, they had to bury their 11-year-old son. And I couldn't imagine being a parent having to but it, it was my brother. And, and I was 15, he was 11. It was my, he was my buddy. He was my best friend. And and, 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 and I had that sadness, but I had two other emotions. One was hate. I was like, I hated the world. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, this is just not fair and it's not right. And I was hateful and resentful, but there was another emotion and the emotion, the emotion of guilt was like, damn, my marrow put him into a coma and it took his life. So that stayed with me. And I never really got over that piece and I buried it deep down inside of me, but the problem was anytime that there was a situation that I couldn't control, hate and guilt would show up on the surface and ruin the mastery of the present moment. And, and it wasn't until after the 93 World Series. And I was, I was at a place, you know, I was like, I was grateful to play on great teams, but 
I wasn't happy with my performance on the field and I wasn't happy with my performance off the field. Not that it was horrible, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I wasn't even coming close to performing to my potential or even living life to my potential. I didn't like the person I was and I had this darkness on the inside and I reached out and I called the guy by the name of Harvey Dorfman. Now he was the mindset guru of major oh, yeah. league baseball. Fixed Roy and I called him and I, I said, Harvey, this is Todd Stottlemyre. And he goes, man, I've been waiting on your call. Oh. And I was funny because I was like, I didn't even know you knew who I was. <laughs> I'm like, and here this, you know, and he'd worked with hall of famers and worked with a lot of guys in major league baseball. And I said, man, I, I said, I need help. And he says, I know. He says, we booked a meeting. I, I, I drove across the state of Florida. It was supposed to be a few hour meeting. It turned out to be 12 hours. In the first hour, here's what he said. He said, Todd, would you do it again? And I said, do what? And I thought he meant like, you know, something I, you know, screwed up or, <laughs> you know, or would I tell the mayor that again? Or would I do this? Because, you know, we were coming off sure. all of that. And I was like, well, do what again? He says, would you give that bone marrow transplant to your little brother again? And man, I just broke down and I bawled like a little baby. And <clears throat> I said, man, Harvey, I do it every minute, every hour, every day. I do it. All. He goes, well, didn't you do that? I said, yeah. And he says, didn't you do everything you could possibly do? And I said, yeah. He said, you see, you didn't kill your little brother. He said, you need to let it go. And I was like, wow. And it was the first time someone gave me permission to let it go. See, at 15, I built a story that wasn't true, that I was the reason he died. And I carried that story with me. But when he said, let it go, like you did, you already did everything you could do. Doing it over is going to do no good. You've already done it. You've already, and, he, and you're not the reason. And I was like, and he goes, but if you would have said no, then I would have told you to change today to honor the defeat. And I was just like, wow, but here's where it really happened. And then in the last hour, he says, I'm going to put you on a seven day challenge and you're not allowed to react or respond to anything. Any challenges that come up over the next seven days, any hurdles, any emotional events, you're not allowed to react. You're only allowed to document. Here's what he said, Todd, I want you to observe how you're thinking and how you're feeling. And I want you to document it. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take those thoughts and those emotions, and I'm going to help you build a toolbox to overcome. Oh. And I was just like, and that began this whole process of instead of reacting emotionally to everything, it's like, what is this, what is this moment trying to tell me? More importantly, what is it I need to do now? Because I can't control what's already happened. And too many times in games and in life, something would happen and it was like I couldn't control it, but I would respond. Now think about today's world. How about our knee-jerk responses? Oh. How about our responses to COVID? How about our responses to race? How about our responses to our presidential election in this, in this country? I mean, how ridiculous, how much hate is there? Mm -hmm. How much, let me tell you, if you don't believe what I believe, people are deleting people, calling them all kinds of names. It's like, what happened to it's okay to be different? And that's what's exciting about life. It's like, man, but you see, I lived in that darkness. I lived in that hate. I lived in a prison that I called unforgiveness that I built. And as I became the observer, and it continues to this day, it's not like, hey, I'm finished. It's unfinished. And in this book, I weave all of this stuff and, and all these emotional um, moments of this main character and of the son and of the grandfather and the thoughts and the reactions and the responses and the playing victim and the blaming and all of this garbage. But then I take Harvey's toolbox and the toolbox that I learned from my father, the toolbox I learned from Cito Gaston, Tony LaRussa, all of the lessons and principles, and I weave them in to this story so that it's a way for people to relate grab a tool and potentially help them change their life for the better, like it did for me. That's the book, The Observer. You know, I love that you touched on sort of the current social political sphere. Um, I myself, um, you know, the last time you were on Out of the Park, uh, you spoke very candidly uh, about the loss of your father. Mm. And I was just a fan of Out of the Park at the time, but I, I remembered that. Um, I was 
battling my own mental illness uh, as a result of the loss of my own father, sure. uh, which which had gotten me, you know, really, really incapacitated for about three years of my life. And, you know, one of the biggest things when I was sick, I noticed that, you know, I could never understand people that didn't agree with me. Right. And, you know, that that feeling like if, if somebody was right wing politically and I'm, I'm a left wing guy, right. we couldn't get along. Right. And as I got better, I started to realize how insignificant most of those details were. Right. And and, you know, that's kind of one of the, the, the big tools in my in my box. You know, if I'm if I'm worried about my mindset, I start looking at how much trouble I'm having having understanding the people around me. Yeah. And and that's usually, you know, my biggest alarm bell that something's wrong with my own thinking, because when I have trouble empathizing with people, it's usually when yeah. I'm not feeling better. But how do we how do we take our, our own messages and try to, you know, try to make something positive out of this mess that we've all found ourselves in? Right yeah, now? no, well, you know, that that's, that's so apparent in today's society. You mentioned it. It's like, isn't it funny that it doesn't matter what side you're on or, or what position you take on, on something. It's like, no one can believe the other, the other side. What's, it's, it's almost like, what's wrong with them? Why can't they see what mm -hmm. I see? But both sides are saying it. That's what's that's what's crazy. And by the way, isn't instead of thinking there's a problem, that's great. I, I mean, listen, I'm great. Everyone's not like me. I mean, how freaking boring would that be? Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, let's really feel it. Let's feel it back. I mean, aren't you glad we're all different so sure. we can all learn? And do, yeah, the the answer is yeah. But you say, well, how do I take these thoughts? And what do I do? It's like, what's the tool? And it's something that, man, I, I had to use on the mound. I can't tell you how many times on the mound I'd have to use it. I call it the 180 degree mindset. It's called thought replacement. It's like every negative thought that enters my mind, when I become aware of that negative thought in my mind, I say, time out, Todd, stop. Replace it with 180 degrees from that negative thought, which turns it into a positive and start to focus on the positive because what we focus on grows. So the more we get buried in focusing on negative, the more negative comes into our life or the more negative we get. But if we can turn, I call it turn the channel. And th there's literally to this day, there's times where I'm like, Todd, stop. And I'm talking to myself, like time out, replace it replace that thought it's like it's like being on an airplane and hitting in turbulence and all you can think about is crashing like stop it's a hey how about it buckle up and enjoy the ride you pay for that at disney world yeah. <laughs> that's so true right you go what over if, you have more bumps while you're in your car yeah right? what if we gave a what if we gave a different perspective what if we look through different glasses what if we turn the channel does everything change the answers yes and we have the power to change a state of our thinking and the state of our emotions anytime we want. And it takes practice. It just takes the right tools and the right perspective and the right lens, but it's possible. And I had to do that. As an I had to do that on the mound. As an observer, when you see the different sides that are being taken, whether it be COVID is going to kill everyone or COVID is a hoax, Trump is the worst, Trump is the best, you know, right. Black Lives Matter is a great campaign. It's the worst. When you see that, do you sometimes wonder why there's no middle? It just seems that everyone has taken a side and gone on each side, but don't realize that there is this big gray area in the middle. Do you think that we need to focus more on the fact that there is more than just this or that? You know, it. It. we were talking about this earlier Um when I say we over the last week, I was with a group of people and it's like, what, you're right. What happened to trying to come to an understanding instead of just staying at war mm -hmm. with one another. And, and, and in this conversation we were having, I said, remember John F. Kennedy, what was he so famous for saying? Think not, not what of what, yeah, people. yeah. It's what can yeah. you do for your country? Hey, I'm a Canadian and it's I like, know that, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, where did that get lost? And I'm kind of like, it hasn't always been this way, mm. but it's, it, but it's kind of like, it's gotten to a place where it's just an ongoing war and fight. And, and then 
I, I say the talking heads and it's like CNN and it's Fox and it's all these. And, and, and you know what it is? It's not news. It's entertainment. Mm -hmm. It's talking heads taking something, driving their opinion, and then people buying that as if it's news. It's not news. It's someone's opinion. And then, and then this thing gets like crazy, you know, and all the emotions. I mean, there's so much passion. I think about this. Think about the passion in the fight today. Just with what you said, politically, race, pandemic, opinions. Think about how much people get so passionate about their stand. What if we came collectively, everyone moved more towards the middle, and we got passionate about making the world a better place, about progress, about production, about people's lives getting better, about more. What if we got passionate about those things? Wouldn't we look differently? You know, and I, I was like, look, you know, at the end of the day, if you study history, and I especially, you know, study the history of our country, you go back to people say, oh, this is the worst of times. Look at the 60s. Look how bad the 19, mm. the, in, in 62, 63, 64. If you go back and look at the United States in those times, it's like, man, look at all of the turbulence going on in, in neighborhoods. It was crazy. And I just say it's a it's a matter of understanding. It's like, you know, it's it's hard to fix a country overnight. You're not, it's like trying to steer the Titanic. It doesn't happen, or you know, you can't do a, just a right turn. This is gonna take time, just like everything takes time. And if we can think long term, but it's kind of like instead of me fighting you on your opinion, my opinion, how about if we're okay with it? And how about if I, I let me try to understand you and you try to understand me. And, and let's see where we can go with that understanding. You know, one of my good, one of my great friends politically is in a different camp than we're in. We have some of the most awesome, friendly conversations in the world. What's so wrong with it? It's like, it's like a Jays fan and a Yankees fan. You can tease and have fun about uh, my team's yeah. better than yours, but at the end of the day, it's not going to rip your friendship apart. And, Right. It just seems from what I'm observing is that specifically the views on on politics and COVID are tearing people apart that were close to each other because yeah. it's like, I can't be your friend anymore because you believe this. And yeah. it's sad that it's come to that. Yeah, it's almost like these people start despising people. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're not wearing a mask. How, how dare you? And blah, 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 blah. Or you're wearing a mask. Like, what's wrong with you? You're buying it. And it's like, and, 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 but it doesn't just become an opinion. It, it becomes a war mm -hmm. and it becomes hate. And you're right. Friendships are being ruined because of differences of opinion. It's like, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But, you know, here's what it is. There will be a time, I, and I say to this, I say to people all the time, you're going to come out of COVID better or worse. You're going to come out of it better or worse. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that's going to be your choice and what you do with what you can control. Like I, I look, we all look, I, I, I'm, I'm not perfect by any, by any stretch. Right. So, and even though I have written a book and we have models and print, do I fail at those models and principles? Of course. Mm -hmm. But I get to have the awareness and understanding to go, man, Todd, you messed up. I can journal it. How can I get better from this? How can I try to have more understanding? You know, and 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 that sort of thing. But it's like it's just great. It it's a crazy, crazy place. We and you can get caught up in it. And and if you got, but I always say the way I let go of it. Here's what I always say to my: Can you control it, Todd? No, step back from it. Can, can I can I add value to it? Step into it. Lean in. Can I add value? That's positive. Let me lean in. Uh, can I control it? Do I add value? No. Let me lean out of it and not get so caught up in it. But I haven't always been this way. I, I, look, people remember me in Toronto. Something would happen, and man, explosions are going on. <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it's like, and and those emotions and that hate and guilt would it would show up. And you know what it tells you when people react the way they react and then they react spontaneous, they're telling you who they really are, man, that that's almost a sad statement. Mm -hmm. They're really telling you who they are. 
See, we need to work as people from the inside out. We need to work on us. Yeah. <laughs> we need to work on things. our hearts, yeah. man. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah, I think, you know, and I'm just using my own sort of personal experience here. Um, again, harkening back to that mental illness and um, that inability to kind of see another point of view. And, and these people that are going out and canceling someone, say, because we disagree on masks. Um, I, I think back again, you know, I, I think, Barry, you'll probably remember me saying this right at the beginning of COVID. I was hoping for a kinder, more compassionate world. Mm -hmm. And it seems we've gone the opposite. And I just, I, you know, I, I analog it with my, my own experience, experience. And, and when I was sick. And, you know, if living in this world right now, if you're watching the news, if you're reading the newspaper, you are being bombarded with a wall of negativity that is unprecedented and and in terms of mental health you know that promotes that mentality that it is us versus them because if you watch cnn it's us versus them if you you know and 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 then we hold on to these beliefs and when i was sick if i thought a certain way about something that became a coping mechanism yeah and and coping mechanisms that's when that's when i get angry about change right because i don't want to believe something that might endanger me and when i'm sick i think everything might and, and what scares me is I see that a lot right now in our, in our news coverage and our media coverage. And, you know, I, I love just programs like this, getting together, talking. And, and you're right. It's not about agreeing. It's, it's about sharing our ideas and learning how to do that as a society. You know, it's like the, like the, and I appreciate your comments. You're right. You're so, you're so, you know, it's like so right on. Think about the golden rule. We've forgotten the golden rule treat others how you want to be mm -hmm. treated didn't we forget that somewhere yeah. it's like what about love your neighbor what happened to these these great rules right it's like we have forgotten <clears throat> we've forgotten them we just need to get back to them that's all yeah. so i mean look it sounds easy we're not going to solve the world's problems today we can work on us we can try to love more we can try to be kinder we can try to do all of these things and it's like everyone just doing a little bit and doing their part i always say a little bit added up over a long period of time can create greatness and we just need to do that we need to do that as human beings today todd you mentioned about how you got to a point in your days in toronto where you didn't like yourself you didn't like the person you were how long did it take before you realized that you didn't like that person? Because I'm thinking at the beginning when you're young and you're just living and you're doing your thing, you don't even think that I'm, I'm, a, I'm an asshole right now. I'm not a good yeah. person. Was it a gradual thing? Was there a, a, an epiphany moment for you where you looked in the mirror one day and said, who the hell is this? This is not me. Yeah. You know, what's funny is you, you kind of get um, sick and tired of being sick and tired of ending up in the exact same place. Mm -hmm a sleepless night where you're disappointed in yourself because of what you did or what you said. 93 World Series. You know, I get attacked in the pregame uh, media thing. The media is like, the mayor said this, the mayor said that, the mayor said Toronto's throwing the World Series because they're starting you. The mayor said he could even hit you. And then I end up and it's like, he knew exactly what he was doing. He touched the emotional strings of my heart. Like you're gonna, like, you wanna fight me? Like, let's fight. And then I just started throwing stuff out back at the mayor. Like, bring it on, bring your helmet, you're gonna need it. And you know, it's kind of like all these things. And then Howard Starkman finally gets me out of there. And, and then that night, it's like all I, you know, all these thoughts that turn into emotions, the mm -hmm. mayor, what about getting the Philadelphia Phillies out? That would have probably been a better thing to be thinking about, preparing for. I wake up the next morning, I have breakfast with my father. He traveled to Toronto to come to the game. And he said, he's, as he's reading the newspaper, he looks at me, he goes, he got you. I said, I know. Because my dad goes, like, it looks like you haven't even slept. Mm -hmm. And then I go out and I pitch one of the worst games I've ever pitched and one of the biggest games I've ever pitched. And, you know, stuff happens. But, but at the same time, it was like, you know, it's like, what about the focus on getting the Phillies out? And, and it's like, Hey, look, he's nothing more. The mayor was nothing more than a fan. Mm -hmm. sure. <laughs> I mean, what am I going to buy the opinion of every fan and let it destroy me emotionally? But it happened. 
And then how about my response? Now, some people are like, oh, that was the greatest thing ever. And then some people were like disappointed in my response when I tell the mayor he can kiss my you know what, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> but then I get home and I step back from it and I'm like, man, I've done it again. You know, I'm reacting, I'm responding what? Negatively, to what? So it's not even important. I mean, I can't control what the mayor thinks or says, nor should I even care. What I should be caring about and what I should be focusing on is getting my game plan, getting my rest, getting my mind right to what? Go to war against the hitters in the field. And I was like, man, but I've been there. Look, there was a time I went in Toronto and I and I charged the Minnesota Twins dugout in the middle of a pitch. Yeah. You know, there were times where, you know, I did all these different, and, and then you end up, and here's what happens, is when you reflect, when you study your past performance and you're like, man, and it's like, man, I just kept in and in the same place. And it was then after the 93 World Series where I said, I've had enough. And then Harvey, what he did is he drew it all out of me. He peeled me back like no other. And he was like, man, we're going to get rid of all this crap you're hanging on to. And we're going to begin to build you and so that you can perform at the highest level so you can be proud of your performances instead of disappointed in your performances, not just on the field, but your reactions and how you deal with things. Look, there's, I'll remember a few years ago, you know, I had a certain reaction in a situation here in my house. And I was like, man, <laughs> and then I was like, it's so stupid. It's so ridiculous. And then you, what do you do? You got to go back and, and you got to patch things up mm -hmm. or, or, and in this world today, no one patches anything up. They just keep throwing stones at one another. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, to become the best version, in my opinion, to become the best version of yourself is what are we focused on? And it's like, and it's like, what's the positive? What's the lesson? How do we learn? How do we get better? It's why I love to ask myself the question every single day. And I say to myself, Todd, is this the best you can do? You know, I've never said yes to it. But what I, but what's come out of it is something to work on tomorrow, man. It's, for me, it's so powerful that like that fits me, and in everything I do, even in this interview, be, we'll get over at the end of the night. I reflect on my day, and I say, hey, is that the best I can do? And how about if I say and I reflect and I study the past performance? I say, man, I, I should have said this, or I should have said it this way, or I should have had more compassion. Hey, next time I'm going to have more compassion, and I document it. Because when I write it, I remember it. And it's just a process of just trying to pursue to be the best version of yourself. And by the way, you can do that with every aspect. You can do it with your business, your family, your relationships, your development, your lifestyle, your money. You can do it in all, all, all areas of your life. But I guess the key, and, too, and is, Todd, is me, when you go through that, when you do tell, ask yourself that, I guess the big key is don't beat yourself up over it. You know, don't sit there and go, oh, I just I, the way I answered that yeah. question was so stupid. I'm just so, I mean, you can go down that rabbit hole as well. So how do you develop being able to want to make yourself better without beating yourself up at the same time? Well, that's what I would do. I trash myself. Yeah. You know, hold myself like hostage, man. Right. It's where you get to get to a point where you fall in love with imperfection and knowing you're going to fail. And because of the failure, a teacher is created to tell you what you need to work on to get better and understand that's the evolution of growth and pursuing the best version of yourself. It's like, it's getting to a place of giving it once again, let me give it a different perspective. What, let me give it a, a, a different awareness. Mm -hmm. and, and it's like one of my mentors told me, he said, Todd, if you, if you have more clarity and more awareness, then you ultimately you'll make better choices. And as you make better choices, you'll ultimately get better results. But it, that doesn't guarantee that every choice you make is going to turn out exactly the way it's supposed to. And it might be that choice might be the next failure. I would tell you, that's great. Failure is the multivitamin we need to take every single day for our success. Mm -hmm. We need to fail literally daily and if we'll fail, and instead of holding ourselves hostage, we'll study it, reflect on it, learn from it, and then act on getting better. That's the process. And it's beautiful. That's a beautiful yep. process.
you mentioned the word better and you mentioned the word best an awful lot in there um and i'd like to throw just a little bit of a sideways question at you um there are two times in your one in your life and one in your career not that you would call the best of your time but the happiest of your time and would that be the same as the best for you (laughs) so both the, the time that you were happiest in your career the time that you're happiest in your life and were those the same as the time where you felt the best or the most successful? The happiest in my career. And the, and the happiest in your life. life. Why well, you gave me homework. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna sit back I'm and like, listen to this one. I wanna be really fair to, to both you guys mm-hmm. in this show. I don't wanna make something up here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm gonna tell you something, That that is, that is Probably one of the greatest questions that's ever been asked. Ooh. So we end part one with Todd Stottlemyre, him telling you that that is one of the greatest questions that has ever been asked of him, but we haven't heard his answer. So if you want to hear his answer, part two. Part two with Todd Stottlemyre. And that is going to be very interesting. And, Tom, uh, what was going through your mind when he said to you, that's one of the greatest questions I've ever been asked. Well, I'm jealous. You see, that's why I use that sarcastic tone. I I, I kind of like ending the episode like that because that's my mic drop moment. Yes, I don't remember. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah, that <laughs> that was that. You know, I would back when I used to play in bands. Well, when we all used to play in bands, um, you, you'd get that feeling sometimes in like a really good gig, like halfway through the gig, you'd just be like, every song's going right and. And it couldn't be going better. And man, you just wish it was over so you could celebrate. I I started getting that feeling after that question for a second. Yes, like it, well, it was easy to pull myself back into it because this is really one of the most amazing conversations I've ever been a part of. And, and if you thought the question was good, wait to hear Todd's answer. And to do that, you need to uh, become an OTP insider. I love that. That's what we're going to call our members for now, on the insiders. And to do that, go to patreon.com slash out of the park. Sign up for as little as three bucks a month. Your votes have been tabulated. Time now for Barry's fair or foul poll results. This week's out of the park poll is with Shapiro and Atkins now at the helm for five years. Have your views changed on them? We had the two options. They've won me over or you're not convinced. And... 56% 56% of people have been won over by Shapiro and Atkins. I'm surprised it's that low. I thought more fans would have been, yeah, unless there are a lot of fans out there that say, I didn't need to be won over. But still a lot. But the, the, the other choice was not convinced. So a lot, I mean, almost half of our people polled still aren't convinced yet. I, I, I can see. Let's see what happens this offseason. Yeah, yeah, I, I respect that for sure. Like, All right. So a big thank you, Todd Sotomayor, for joining us here on the program. Remember, you can hear part two and watch part two on our members page on Patreon. Tom Forth, I got to tell you one thing. Uh, yes, you cannot look at me right in the eye. You cannot stare back at me while you are here in studio. And uh, But there's something interesting going on. I can actually see you because of the, uh, the hidden cameras, which I forgot I didn't tell you about. So, uh, so Tom, quite honestly, and all kinds of love, Put your damn pad spot on, please. And on that creepy note. (laughs) Thanks, folks, for making us a part of your week. You've been listening to Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Thanks for joining us. Get home safely and see you next time.